0: So this morning we are wrapping up our series called Game Changers, where over the past four weeks we've been looking at faith uh, through the lens of football um, and consulting Genesis for stories of faith and faithfulness and what it means uh, to be a faithful follower of God as we seek to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to start this, this morning with a question for you. Have you ever been on a, or on a team or a part of a group um, where one person on the team um, was treated like an all star, or, or maybe was an all star. Have you ever been on a, on a team with someone who is really talented at whatever it is that they were doing? Have, have you ever been on a team like that? I mean, with someone who is truly talented. Um, I happened to play football um, with a guy that, that you probably wouldn't know um, unless you're like a big time Georgia Southern fan. Um, you might know him then. I mean, he played outside linebacker here at Georgia Southern, but we played um, football in high school, and, and this guy, Um, he played football on a different plane than any of us that were on the high school football team played on. Um, He was one of these guys who, um, if he wanted to deliver a blow to somebody, he could take one step and just explode. Have you ever seen somebody be able to do that? That just has the power, the innate ability inside of them um, to make one move and just totally throw off the opposing team. Or to throw off the defense. I once saw him um, at the snap of the ball reach across the line. Across the, the top of the center and grab the quarterback. Before he was able to pull out from underneath the center and throw him to the ground. Uh, this guy played football on a whole different level. Um, and you've seen All-Stars before, right? If you watched uh, any college football yesterday. Anybody watched some college football yesterday? Anybody happen to watch... Uh, the Georgia game yesterday afternoon. Anybody watch Georgia, South Carolina? Um, yay, Georgia! Uh, sorry, South Carolina. Uh, now we got all our bases covered. Um, we'll cheer and mourn at the same time uh, over the football game. But um, who was the all star in that game yesterday for Georgia? Do you remember? This guy, right? Todd Gurley. That's, if you just Google. Gurley, stiff arm. This is the picture you get. Uh, Todd Gurley ran all over South Carolina's defense yesterday. It was an incredible performance for a star athlete. He was playing on another plane in that moment. He was just, you know, playing to the best of his ability. But if you asked him, if you asked Todd Gurley, what made him successful, he would not say, well, you know, it's, it's this keen sense of balance that I have as I explode through the line. I've got vision that's better than, than normal. It's not that he has, you know, speed that's faster than anybody else. It's the fact that he has 10 other guys on that team who are all working to make him successful that are all doing their job, that all know their assignment, that helped him have a great game. Now, if, if you've been on a, on a football team or any team for that matter with someone who is super talented, you've also been on a team with someone who is super talented and knew it, right? Have you ever met somebody like that? And yeah, some of you just laughed, yeah, who was, was obviously playing on another level, but they knew it. They knew that they played on another level, and they could do without the rest of everybody else. Have you met anybody like that, that, that as soon as the reporter gets in their face, you've seen some players do this, gets in their face, uh, what helped make you successful today? And they go into the whole spiel, well, you know, I just, it was all me, and God's given me this talent, and I'm so great, and I'm so much better than everybody else, and that's what made me successful today. And everybody behind him is just shaking their head, right? Nobody actually has that kind of success when they're on a team all by themselves, all by themselves. We need each other. Football teams need each other. Baseball teams need each other. Whatever team it is that you happen to be a part of, whenever you're a part of a team, you need each other. That's why coaches will often say that there is no I in team, right? You've heard that before. You've you've seen that on Georgia Southern t-shirts. Big team, little I. You've seen these before, right? There is no I in team. And when we get that mixed up in our minds, even in the church... When we get it mixed up in our minds about what matters most, the individual or the team, there are terrible consequences that happen. There really are terrible consequences that happen. And so this morning, uh, what I want to do is is share with you a scripture text from Genesis chapter 37. Uh, We're going to read sort of skipping through chapter 37 and into verse, excuse me, into chapter 50 toward the end of the sermon. But this is the story of Joseph. And as you know, We've been working our way through the story of one family that began with this man called Abram that became Abraham that has a son named Isaac who has a son named Jacob who has a son named Joseph. One of his, his many sons, his 12 sons actually was named Joseph. And this is Joseph's story. Now we've got to do a little bit of backtracking to bring you up to speed on Joseph because Joseph's father, who was Jacob, was the guy we talked about last week. But Jacob had uh, two wives, and he had two servant women who all bore him children. He had two wives, Rebecca and Leah, or Rachel and Leah, and he had two servant women who bore him children. And and Jacob, um, he liked all of his kids. He liked all of his kids. But he loved, he loved Joseph, and he loved Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin or his children from later on in life, and uh, his wife that that he loved most actually died in childbirth with Benjamin. And so Jacob looked at these two youngest children of his as the apple of his eye. He absolutely loved these two, and if you remember back, um, that's always been a problem in his family, that daddy or mama always had a favorite, and it's caused all sorts of of dysfunction in the family. So these two sons out of the 12, two of the 12 are Jacob's favorites. And this is the start of Joseph's story. Would you follow along with me? Genesis 37, one to nine says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending The flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. He brought their father a bad report about them. Um, There's language for that in a family. What's the language whenever one child um, always has a bad report about the other kids? What's that called? Tattletailing, right? Uh, Joseph, he sort of knows that, you know, daddy loves him more than everybody else. And so he becomes a little tattletale and so he gives a bad report about his other 11 brothers um, to his dad because he had his father's ear because, well, Jacob loved him most. Here's verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. You all remember the story growing up of, of Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? Right? Or maybe you watched on Broadway or TV Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dream Code. Anybody see that? Yeah, this is that story. This is this is that Joseph. Listen to what happens when the brothers see this code. Verse 4. When his brothers saw their father, loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They hated Joseph and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph is a tattletale who his father dotes on above all of the other kids. Above all of the other kids. Joseph. Well, Joseph is a product of his family. His family made him the way he is. Some of us live with what our families brought us up with, and Joseph is one of these kids. He, he ends up living out some of his family's stuff, his family's dysfunction. Joseph is a product of his family. And his brothers hated him. So there's already, in, in these first four verses in Genesis 37, a whole lot of dysfunction in this family. One mom is gone. Dad's got two servant wives. There's another woman in the house, Leah, who's, who's his other wife. There's ten kids, or twelve kids. Eleven of them hate the one that daddy loves best. Now, check out what happens next. Now, that's a lot of dysfunction for a family, but check out what happens next. This sort of gives you an image of what Joseph was really like in his young age. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. Now, remember, he's a tattletale, and Daddy loves him best. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Because he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were all binding up sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. You've seen sheaves out in the field, right? You've seen images of this where all the grains bundled together. My sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves all gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then guess what? Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph, he has another dream. You know, as if one dream wasn't bad enough to share with the family. <laughs> he has another dream. And he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the son and the moon, and eleven stars were all bowing down to me. To me. Now, it was one thing to, to, to tell it to your brothers, but apparently uh, Jacob got wind of this. And he told Joseph, Do you actually believe what you just said? Second of all, it's amazing that your brothers haven't already killed you. And so Jacob actually hides Joseph from his brothers, and he sends all of Joseph's brothers off into Shechem to, to tend their flocks. And he, he lets them cool off for a little while. And then he sends Joseph out to meet out to meet him. Write this down in your notes this morning. Joseph sinned against his brothers. Joseph acted in a way that caused their relationship to become tense and fractured to the point that they all hated each other, to the point that dad had to pull Joseph out of the situation so that the family could just get along and be okay, dysfunctional as it already was. Joseph sinned against his brothers. Yes, his dreams, they may have been from God, but he used his gifts and he used his status with his father in a way that hurt his family and separated him from the people around him. So again, Joseph gets wind of what's happened and he he hides Jacob gets wind of what happened and, and he hides Joseph for a while and then he sends Joseph down to Shechem and guess what Joseph decides to wear on his trip down to Shechem He wears his beautiful multicolored robe now in the ancient world, there were certain kinds of dress for certain people um, shepherds like Jacob and his 12 sons would have worn, uh, sort of a covering that was sleeveless and short so that you could wade through marshes and water and you could pick up animals and throw them on your shoulder and not get dirty. Well, this robe that Jacob, Jacob had made for Joseph wasn't like that at all. It went from his wrist all the way down to his feet, from his neck all the way down to his feet. And it was ornate. It was beautiful. And so it wasn't made for sort of traipsing through the woods or going through the marsh. It was really designed to show that he was the one that daddy loved best. That he was the one who was going to get the promise, the blessing, the inheritance at the end of Jacob's life. Jacob sins against his brothers again when he Walks out into the wilderness wearing that robe. His brothers see him, by the way. <laughs> this is verse 19. He said, And they say, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, one of his, his brothers, heard this, he tried to rescue Joseph, from their hands, let's not take his life, he says. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern, sure, here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to their father. So instead, the brothers say, that's fine, Reuben. (laughs) We won't harm him. But We're going to take that jacket. We're going to take that robe. And instead of, of killing him, we're going to dispose of him by selling him off to the Ishmaelites. This, this roving caravan of people who sort of pass by the brothers while they're out there tending their flocks. They sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Then they take Joseph's beautiful robe. And they slaughter a goat. And they dip that robe in the blood. and They carry it back to their father. And they say, you know, we didn't even see poor Joseph. Something must have happened out there in the wilderness. We have no idea what we didn't even see him, but we found his you know the the pretty robe that you made for him. We found it. And so Joseph, Jacob, excuse me, is just absolutely distraught. He is he is torn up and he mourns for years the loss of his son. The one that he loved the most. Well, he really wasn't lost. He was lost to Jacob, but he certainly wasn't lost to God because Joseph ends up being sold to an Egyptian named Potiphar. And he soon becomes the head of Potiphar's household until he runs into Potiphar's wife, who took a liking to Joseph, um, who happens to always be the golden child and the apple of everyone's eye. She takes a liking to him, and Joseph ends up in jail because she accuses him of trying to attack her and hurt her. Well... Joseph goes to prison. And while Joseph's in prison, Pharaoh begins having crazy dreams, just crazy dreams. And he looks all over his kingdom, all over ancient Egypt, for someone who can interpret his dreams and tell him what he means. And finally he hears about this golden child that happens to be in his own prison that can interpret his dreams. So he brings him into his household, brings him into the palace, and Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh is shocked. But he rewards Joseph because he was able to interpret what happened. Now let's, let's jump back a little bit because at this point, Joseph is sort of uh, first, first mate to the, the Pharaoh. He's the Pharaoh's right hand man and he's overseeing all the preparations that are being made that are being made for this famine that he's, he's predicted through Pharaoh's dream. So let's, let's back up a little bit. and Let's talk about the nature of sin and, and really what happens when we sin, because that has everything to do with what happens next in the story. So we're going to rewind a little bit, and we're going to talk about what happens when we sin. When we sin, and this is pretty well a blanket statement, when we sin, what we do is we put ourselves first. When we sin against other people, Generally, that happens because we have taken and put ourselves first. We put ourselves before everyone else. We say that we know we're the all-star. We know that we have talent just like Joseph did, and we ignore everyone else around us. We put ourselves first. That's when we sin against people. But when we sin against God, we actually do the very same thing. We sort of say, God, I know what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I know you have a plan and a purpose for my life, but you know what? I I got this. <laughs> I've got this talent that you don't even know about, God. And we tell God to take a back seat. Take a back seat to our plan. Take a back seat to our purpose. We put ourselves first. That's what happens first when we sin. But that that leads to a second part of sin. The, The next thing that happens is that we forget the needs of others. We get so blinded by our selfishness. We get so blinded by how great we are in our own eyes Because we saw everyone else's sheaves bowing down to us. Because we're the shining star in the sky and the moon and 11 other stars are all bowing down to us. We get so self-centered and so self-concerned that we forget about others' needs. That's what Joseph does. He doesn't care about his brothers when he tells them that dream. He could care less what his brothers think. He just wants to make sure they know how great he is. How much he's loved by his father. And how one day he's going to be the man of the house. And they will serve him. We forget the needs of the other. And we become the center of our own little universe. It happens in our lives all the time, doesn't it? We forget. We forget that we're not the center of the universe. That the sun, moon, and stars don't revolve around our lives. But instead, that God's the center of the universe. That God is the creator of all things. And that ultimately we ought to be looking for God for our purpose and our plan and our mission and our vision. We should be looking toward God. It happens all the, times in our li- all the time in our life. We put ourselves first and we forget the needs of others. And the result of all of that is that we end up breaking relationship. Not only with God but with the people around us. Hate is a strong word. But it says over and over again in Genesis 37 that based on the way that Joseph acted, his brothers hated him. Now don't get me wrong, his family was dysfunctional as all get out. But they hated Joseph because of the way he acted. Because he knew his status. He knew his giftedness. And he used it for his own advantage. And he used it for his own gain. And it broke relationship with his family, when we... Sin, we break relationship with the people around us, and we break relationship with God. And here in Genesis 37, at the very start, in just a few short verses in Genesis 37, we see how destructive sin is in our life and in our world. It destroys families. It separates us from one another, and it separates us from God, and everything would be lost. The whole story would end up a tragedy if it weren't for the fact that way back with Abraham, God had made this promise. that God had made this covenant that the whole earth would be blessed through him and his descendants if they would just follow after him. And so into the story enters the great game changer. See, the great game changer in the story is not Joseph at all. The great game changer in the story is the power of Forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. You see, whenever the famine finally strikes the land, Jacob and his now 11 sons are starving and they're forced to go to Egypt to find food because Egypt is the only place that's been prepared for this famine all along. They had grain in storehouses ready. For this exact moment, and Jacob and his 11 sons arrive in Egypt. And they're shocked at who they see is in control of the whole network. It's Joseph. It's Joseph, and the brothers are immediately terrified because they're afraid that Joseph is about to have his day. That Joseph is about to make things right in the way that Joseph would have made things right when he was 17 years old. But instead, instead of exacting his revenge on his brothers, Jacob forgives. Jacob forgives. And he gives his brothers and his father an opportunity to live again, to thrive, to be sustained. Look at these verses from Genesis 50. This is what it says. But Joseph said to them, these, his father and his brothers, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Think about that for a second. Am I putting myself first right now? You, brothers of mine, intended harm to me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid i will provide for you and your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them you know what this is in genesis 50 this is actually the second time that joseph has said this to his brothers the second time in the story of joseph and his brothers that he said this to them he actually says it one time before in genesis 43 when his brothers first arrived in the land but this moment is after jacob's death Whenever, you know, surely now Joseph is going to have his day and kill us all. But instead, Joseph reassures his family that no, that's not what's going to happen here. Because I've understood God's grace. I've experienced God's power in my life. He's delivered me over and over again. He's delivered me out of your hand. He's delivered me from Potiphar's wife. He's delivered me from the prison. He's put me in this high place. And instead of exacting my revenge, instead of using all of my power to pour out wrath on you, I'm going to do exactly what God has done. And I'm going to forgive you and give you a chance to start again. That is the greatest game changer of all. Forgiveness is the greatest game changer of all because you see, When we were powerless, Christ died for us, offered us forgiveness from the cross and a chance to start again, to begin again. And I'm here today to tell you that the power of God is found in forgiving the people around us so that we can come back to life, so that they can come back to life, so that we can be the people that God is calling us to be. But doing that begins... With putting God first in our life. With knowing the needs of the people around us. And not ignoring them, but responding to those needs. And then, third, it's working to restore broken relationships. In the very same way, Joseph restored the relationship with his brothers. the story of the Bible is not a tragedy. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. These broken people that we read about in Genesis, they end up being redeemed and used in mighty ways. Ways that they might not have even imagined. By God's power. Not by their own. And we today, we stand as heirs of the forgiveness that Joseph gave to his brothers because that forgiveness is the very forgiveness of God that's open and available to each and every one of us. If you need a chance to start again, that can happen today because God is a forgiving God. If you need to restore a relationship in your life, you can do that today by exercising the power of forgiveness. Today is just the start for we as God's people. It's a chance to begin again because we believe as as we are about to sing in just a second that greater things are coming, that greater things will be done. Not by our own power or our own might, but by the power of God, the power of forgiveness, the power of grace poured out in our lives. Would you join me in prayer this morning?